Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you all, and it is good to see that I don't think any of you confuse those dates. None of you showed up in your pajamas this morning, so I guess that's a good thing. Well, it is great to be with all of you here in the room and those of you watching online. My name is Hudson, one of our pastors here. As we get started, I have one quick announcement with our global outreach team. Pastor Steve is currently in Cuba, and he is teaching for over 2,000 church leaders and pastors down there, which is an awesome opportunity for him, and I know the people down there are getting a ton out of that. So please continue to pray for him as he's down there and for all the people being blessed by that teaching. I hope that you all had a great Thanksgiving. I definitely did. One of the main reasons I did was we had our fourth annual Youth Turkey Bowl. And I'll say this, the students wanted to go students versus adults. And the adults won on the scoreboard, but I think the students won by the fact that this morning to get out of my car, I had to pull one leg up after the other, very sore. But in youth ministry, you have to take wins where you can get them. And reminding our students every year, like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, I can still throw a football over those mountains is a little win for me. This is also the year that I realized that I'm really into tradition when it comes to Thanksgiving for a few things. First one being when it comes to the meal. I like traditional Thanksgiving food as the meal. And I think that's obvious, it should be obvious, the turkey, ham, stuffing, mashed potatoes, gravy. I actually just layer it all on top of each other, pour gravy on top and get after it. And I thought everybody was into traditional food for Thanksgiving, but I realized this year that people do a lot of different things. It reminded me of a few years ago, my cousins wanted to do a Caribbean jerk Thanksgiving, which felt weird. I saw some people doing spaghetti for Thanksgiving. Maybe that's your tradition. You're an Italian family. That's what you do. I think that's kind of weird. I was with some people last night, last night with some friends of mine, whether we're still friends is being debated because they do Mexican food for Thanksgiving. Now, I will eat Mexican food six out of seven days, seven days a week, but for Thanksgiving, you might as well have the traditional food. I do think there's a strong argument for prime rib Thanksgiving. Any of you out there with that? Okay, there we go, all right. But you know, just save it for Christmas or like any other day of the year. I like traditional food on Thanksgiving, but the tradition honestly goes further for me. My mom has this tradition that we've done as long as I can remember, and every year, regardless of who's around the table, we go around and say one thing that we're thankful for from that past year. And as a teenager, I didn't really like this tradition because as a teenager, you don't want to bare your soul to your parents. You'd rather just not say anything at the table. But as I become an adult, I love this tradition, and I honestly think that we need to spend more time thinking about what we're thankful for, especially as Christians. If you consider yourself a Christian and you're here this morning, we have so many things to be thankful for. And I actually think that we miss out on the joy available to us because just through the daily grind of life and of the year, we just forget to take time to be thankful. And Pastor Jason asked me this morning to preach. He said, hey, let's pause from the series in Genesis and let's talk about Thanksgiving. And instantly a verse and a passage came to mind. It's in Philippians chapter one, verses three through eight. And the reason why this came to mind is because we see Paul, the apostle who wrote a majority of the letters in the New Testament, we find him in rare form here. He is bearing his soul and his gratitude and his affections for the church that he planted in Philippi. And when I think about this church, Illuminate Community Church, this church family, many of the reasons that Paul is grateful for the church in Philippi is the same reason that I'm thankful for this church. And so my big idea this morning is a little bit different, but I think that this passage lends itself to it. And I hope that as we go through, you guys are able to feel the same way. So here's my big idea. 
I am thankful for you, Illuminate Community Church family. I am thankful for you guys. And as we look through these five verses, we're gonna talk about three reasons why I am thankful for you. And the way that I organized my big ideas for this morning, they all start with I am statements. And this isn't needed to be a counseling session for me, but I hope that when I say I am, you are able to say those words for yourself as we look at these three reasons why I am thankful for this church and why Paul was thankful for the church in Philippi. I hope today that your affections for this church family are stirred ultimately as a response to the head of this church, which for some of you are like, Pastor Jason, he's the lead pastor, but Jesus Christ is the head of this body, of this church. And so as we talk about this church family, I hope that we are able to exalt and glorify Jesus this morning because he is worthy of all praise. And as we reflect on this church, none of us would be here this morning if it wasn't for his grace and mercy in our lives. So I'm gonna open by reading these five verses and we're gonna break them down. Philippians chapter one, verses three through eight. Paul is writing, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul and it's widely accepted that he is currently in prison in Rome as he wrote this. And Paul had a long history with the church in Philippi. We actually get the origin story of that church in Acts chapter 16. We meet a lady, her name is Lydia, and actually the church starts in her home. And we find Paul and his buddy Silas, they're going and they're planting churches and they find themselves in an interesting situation in Philippi because they get thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. And it says that at midnight they were in jail and they were singing hymns and they were praying to God and an earthquake happens and their chains fall off. The prison doors are thrown open. The jailer realizes what's happened. He sees the scene. He imagines that all of the people in jail have escaped and he pulls out his sword to fall on it, kill himself. It's a high price to pay for being bad at your job. But Paul calls out to him and says, hey, we're all still here, don't hurt yourself. Well, Paul and Silas end up going back to the jailer's home and they share the gospel with him and the jailer and his family, they come to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and they get baptized and this church in Philippi is off on their start. We see that Paul holds a special place for the church in Philippians. We see him in other letters that he's writing to other churches talking about the Philippians and their support of him. Whether he was with them or whether he was away, the Philippians continued to support Paul. And here we find Paul not looking to lay out some beautiful Greek rhetoric or defend any type of doctrine, but rather Paul in his old age in jail is reflecting on how grateful he is for his friends and his church family in Philippi. And in doing so, he also sets up some themes that run across the rest of this letter, and we're gonna talk about some of those as well. So we pick up in verse three, and he starts by saying, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. So this is my first point this morning. I am thankful for a church family whose identity is rooted in Christ. 
I'm thankful for a church family whose identity is rooted in Christ. I think this is most clear in one of our taglines here at Illuminate. We say, only God, from the beginning of this church, our pastors and our leaders, they understood something. They understood that we are not smart enough, creative enough, or talented enough to do this thing, to pull this off, but God is. And we know that as long as we humbly submit ourselves to his authority, to the teaching of his word, to his direction, he is gonna do far more than we could ever hope or imagine. We are not here because we're some super cool, talented church in North Scottsdale that's going to attract a ton of people, but we are here because we stand on the word of God. Our identity is rooted in Christ, who is the one who transforms lives and compels people to himself. Our identity is rooted in Christ. I love that Paul starts here by saying, I thank my God. And this is the key why today's message is not a self-help guide of how you just need more community in your life because Paul later in Philippians in chapter four, verse 11, he says, I've learned to be content in all things, whether I have an abundance or whether I don't have anything. And so we know that Paul is not reliant on the Philippians friendship. He would be content without it. Though he is grateful for it, he does not need it to be content in life. And this is really important. The reason why is because his identity is first and foremost in Christ. See, having your identity tied up in anything else is a recipe to be let down in life. If your life is dependent upon your spouse for fulfillment, you will feel lost and confused and empty. If your life is dependent upon your children loving you, you will be on a roller coaster ride for the rest of your life. If your happiness is dependent upon friendships, you will feel lonely, frustrated, and depressed. If your sense of self-worth is found in your career, you will have an identity crisis. When markets tank, the the economy crashes, a deal goes bad, or you realize all the money, recognition, and fame, popularity, actually did nothing for satisfying the deep desires and longings you have in your heart. Your spouse will fail at loving you, Your children will hurt you. Your friends will let you down. I'll take it a step further. Your small group leader and your pastors will disappoint you. But all those things deliver far less of a blow when your identity is first and foremost rooted in Christ. When your inner self is not dependent upon other people or other things, but is dependent upon the one who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I love that Paul does not just pray to God, but he prays to his God, it is personal. Paul has a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with God. And because he has that kind of relationship, because he's rooted in that, he can actually enjoy all the other relationships in his life in their proper context, and we can as well. We keep reading in verse four. He says, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We're gonna come back and look at that more in point three. So this in verse six, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. My second point this morning, I am thankful for a church family who perseveres in their pursuit of holiness. I'm thankful for a church family who perseveres in their pursuit of holiness. As I continue to walk with Jesus and strive to grow in my relationship with him, I realize that I need certain people around me. I need people around me who take their pursuit of holiness seriously. 
I need people around me who pursue their sanctification and take their sanctification seriously. I was in small group with our youth students last week and I had told them in my message, hey, it's okay to ask questions. We see the disciples all throughout the gospels asking questions and actually being rebuked sometimes by Jesus because they ask the same questions over and over again and just don't get it. And so I said, hey, I want your guys' questions. And so we get to small group and one of my students goes, I'm gonna be honest, you use these words all the time in your messages and I have no idea what they are. I assume everybody else does and all the guys are like, we don't know what you're saying. And I was like, awesome. Here's the other thing I've learned about high school students. If they have a question or an observation about something, us adults do as well. We just typically are a little more prideful and don't wanna ask those questions. And so I just wanna talk about what I mean by sanctification and pursuing holiness. Now a man that I deeply respect and love and is who is way smarter than me said this about sanctification and I think it's helpful. Sanctification is a progressive work of both God and man that makes Christians more free from sin and more and more like Christ in their actual lives. I'll read it again. Sanctification is a progressive work of both God and man that makes Christians more free from sin and more and more like Christ in their actual lives. So we'll break this down a little bit. Sanctification is a process and thank God that it is a process and we are all somewhere along that progression. See, it is our goal as Christians to be conformed to the image of Christ. What that means is we seek to be more and more like Jesus, he is our example. Now this process begins at the time of salvation. When we are saved, this process begins. And then we even see Paul saying here, in that progress, this work becomes complete at Christ's second return. When Paul says in Philippians 3:21, God will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So it starts at salvation, it ends when Jesus returns. And though we will not reach perfection on this side of death, it is for our joy and for God's glory that we pursue this progression. We will not reach perfection, but we should be making progress. Paul is giving us a good explanation of that here. He says, Jesus starts the work at justification, our salvation, which comes only through Christ by grace through faith. And the work is not done until he finishes it when he returns. And that is a promise that we can stand on and that Paul is praying for this church that he loves. Paul is gonna talk about his thankfulness here in a minute for their partnership in the gospel. But what Paul realizes and what I've realized in my life is you cannot talk about gospel work until you figure out your own pursuit of holiness because you're pursuing holiness, you're pursuing your sanctification, you becoming more and more like Jesus every single day is the only way that you'll have longevity in gospel work where you won't burn out or fail out of the mission and plan that God has for you in your life. And this is not easy. This is definitely not easy. I was reflecting on this yesterday and just thinking about how hard it is to consistently try to pursue holiness. Because here's the thing, it's not a steady progression by any means. It's stair steps. And sometimes you hit a wall and sometimes you plateau. And sometimes it's a really messed up staircase where you start going back down before you come back up. But here's what I've learned about this in my short time following Jesus. It becomes easier when you have people around you who are trying to do the same thing. It becomes a lot easier when you have people in your life who are also trying to pursue their holiness. And I think one of the greatest blessings we have as a church is that we're truly multi-generational. And so let me speak to the younger people in the congregation this morning, and you can decide for yourself whether you make that group or whether you don't make that group. But here's why it's a blessing. Because we tend to think that just because 
we're young and we grew up with Google and Siri that we know everything there is to know about everything and I'm pointing fingers at myself. But we are in a church where we have generations of people who have followed Jesus faithfully, who have been pursuing holiness for longer than we've been alive. And they have set an example and they have set a trajectory for us to be able to follow after a great cloud of witnesses for us to have here. We get to look at the way that they've lived their life, how they have pursued Jesus through trials, through tra tragedy, and through triumphs. And we get to follow in that example. And I love even the different opportunities we have, like women's mentoring, where I have two sister-in-laws who are beginning their adulthood that have older women in their lives pouring into them and sharing with them how they have pursued Jesus for longer than they've even been alive. It is a blessing to be multi-generational here. And I'll speak for myself when I say, I'm also really encouraged on Youth Takeover Sundays. We have fifth grade through 12th grade students that come up to the stage and worship Jesus because they worship in a way where they just love him. They sell out for worshiping and they don't care if they look foolish. They don't even know how to process some of that yet. They are just sold out for worshiping Jesus who has meant so much even in their short lives. And see, I think when Jesus says that we need to have childlike faith, he's not talking about ignorance, but sometimes as we get older, we get in our heads about things and we stop following Jesus and having faith in Jesus the way we should. And it's encouraging to have people who have followed Jesus for so many years in the same room as students who just started following Jesus, but sell out for their worship in him. My goal for us as a church, what I pray that we continue to do is that we continue to pursue holiness together. We hold each other accountable for it and we set an example for one another in what it looks like to daily pursue Jesus, praying and hoping and trusting in the completion that comes at the day of Christ's return. As a church, let's continue to encourage one another to pursue self-discipline in a culture of self-indulgence. Let's practice patience in a culture of instant gratification and let's pray in dependence upon God in a culture of the self-made man. We continue in verse seven, and here we see Paul's emotion begin to come to the surface. I love this here. In verse seven, it says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. In other words, Paul says, you might think I'm getting emotional here, and guess what, I am. And it is right for me to be emotional right now. It is logical for me to be emotional right now because you, church family, you hold a special place in my heart. For you are all partakers in the defense of the gospel. We know from other letters that Paul wrote specifically like to the church in Galatia that there were people that sought to put Paul out of business. See, Paul stood for the purity of the gospel and there were false teachers that wanted to discredit what Paul was saying and they did everything they could, but Paul stood firm. He lost friends, he lost churches over it, but he would stand firm for the purity of the gospel. And he was so sold out for this mission that he was, people tried to kill him multiple times for it, but he stood for it regardless if anyone had his back, but I imagine it was nice for him to know that he had the homies back in Philippi who were actually standing with him, that were actually partaking in the grace of God by pursuing the gospel and by holding fast to it. He also says something here. He says, partakers in my imprisonment. And so I think this actually narrows in exactly what Paul is talking about here. See, Paul did not view his imprisonment in Rome to be in vain. He viewed that he was in prison in Rome 
for a purpose. And he says this in verse 12 in this first chapter of Philippians. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul viewed his imprisonment in Rome as a chance for the gospel to actually go out through Rome. And he viewed the Philippian support through prayer, through their friendship, and through their physical support as them partnering with him in this mission to see the gospel go out and transform lives throughout Rome. And this seems to be at the core of why Paul is thankful for the Philippians. Which brings me to my last point this morning. I am thankful for a church that partners together for the sake of the gospel. I'm thankful for a church that partners together for the sake of the gospel. It's truly something special to be a part of a church that has been transformed by the work of Jesus. And because of that transformation, we seek to bring the gospel into Scottsdale, into our state, into our country, and out into the world. As we even think about Pastor Steve being in Cuba right now, all because of this work that Jesus Christ has done in our lives. Now, I'm obviously biased, but when I read a passage like this, my heart instantly is stirred for our youth mentors that I get to work with every single day, every single week as we partner together for the gospel. Youth ministry is kind of the wild west of ministry, but these leaders show up week in and week out, daily even pursuing students for the sake of the gospel. And we've seen this year by the grace of God, more students give their lives to Jesus, more students get baptized than we've seen in my entire time here at Illuminate. And it's because these leaders, these volunteers who give up their time continue to preach the gospel to students, both through their words and through the way that they live. And they continue on this long journey, this being faithful for a long time in the same direction to see students come to know Jesus, be loved by Jesus, and be transformed through the power of his gospel. And so for all of you youth mentors in the room today, I'm so thankful for you guys. And it is a privilege and an honor to be partnering with you for the sake of the gospel. Now I'm biased for those guys, but there's also other things happening in this church as well. I just want to acknowledge some of those. We've had just this year alone, 200 people experience life change through the gospel as they went through a small group experience we have here called Rooted, and that celebration was last week, and it was phenomenal. We've hit record numbers in our men's ministry, in our women's ministry, and numbers are numbers. They are what they are, but what I get excited about with that is the reason that happens is because you guys have been transformed by the gospel. You guys have been compelled by the love of Jesus, and now you're telling your friends and your family members and those people that play sports with your kids, and you're bringing them here so they can hear the good news about Jesus, so they can be loved by Jesus who loves them better by anybody else. And you guys are partnering together as a church, as a community, to continue to do that together. This year, we celebrated our one-year anniversary of Celebrate Recovery, where weekly on Friday nights, regardless if it's a holiday, if it's raining, if it is sunshine, they meet here because people, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, have experienced freedom from their habits, hangups, and hurts. And we've heard some incredible testimonies here on Sunday mornings during baptisms about what God is doing in and through that ministry and all the people that partner together to keep that going. Our local outreach team, for those of you that have been here for any amount of time, I mean, what do we say about our local outreach team? They are absolutely phenomenal. And I have pretty much nothing to do with that ministry, so I can brag about them all I want. It's not vain at all. 
but we see that they continue to go out year after year and be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. And here's the most important thing. Yes, they go out to meet physical needs, but they go out to meet physical needs because they know that that's a pathway, that's a door for them to actually meet the spiritual needs of people who otherwise would not hear about Jesus. And they've had opportunities out when they're out serving in these different communities where people have accepted the call to follow Jesus as their Lord and have actually gotten baptized right there. And that ministry continues to go beyond our walls and serve the city, partnering together for the sake of the gospel here in Scottsdale and Phoenix. This last year, all of you have heard about bigger, smaller, deeper BSD, and so many of you have sacrificially partnered with us in that. And so first of all, if you have partnered with us in that, this time of Thanksgiving, thank you. Like deeply, thank you. And I'm not up here by the elder's request or by Jason's request to say anything about this. This is just one guy who absolutely loves Illuminate Community Church and what God is doing here. And so here's what I wanna say about this. We are getting ready to embark on our biggest adventure as a church so far so that we can be a center for the gospel of Jesus Christ that can go out, one, start here discipling people, sharing the gospel here, having life transformation happen here so we can go out beyond our walls into our state, our country, and our world, partnering together for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have seen God work in miraculous ways through bigger, smaller, deeper, and all of you partnering with us in that. Lastly, Pastor Jason said this a few weeks ago, for all of you that have volunteered here at Illuminate, for those people that are out volunteering right now with our kids and students, those of you serving on tech, on the worship team, those of you that are part of Serve Timber, whatever way that you have served in this church, thank you. Thank you from me, from our staff, from our pastors. Because what Pastor, said, what Pastor Jason said is true. If you all stopped volunteering, next week we would shut our doors and we would no longer be a church. We cannot do this without you guys volunteering. And so thank you for your faithfulness in laying down your lives to partner together in the gospel in whatever way that looks like that you're involved in. Our church partnering together for the sake of the gospel is a really big deal for me. It's a big deal for our staff, for our elders, for our pastors. And I pray that it's a big deal for you. And I pray that not because I just think it's a good idea. I pray that because we see the Apostle Paul being really passionate about that with this church in Philippi. It was a big deal for him. And he says these words in verse eight, and it's such a great cap on what he's saying here. It says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. I love this, especially around this time. And part of the reason I wanted to preach from this passage is the holidays have a way of illuminating some family dynamics that some of us have. And I was telling our team this morning, for some of you, this is better family time than it was on Thanksgiving. That you rely on this church family that you love this church family because it's exactly that. It is a family for you. And we long to come together and see each other and worship together in unison as we sing songs and to have fellowship with one another and to be able to be in each other's lives and know each other intimately. And we see that's exactly how Paul feels about this church in Philippi. So as we move into the last month of this year, I know, last month of this year, and as we look into 2023, here is my plea for us as a church. Let us continue to have our identity rooted in Jesus Christ. 
Let us continue to pursue holiness, that we would per- persevere in our sanctification, that we would seek to honor God with our bodies, our time, and our lives. And let us continue to partner together for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church family, there is no higher calling that we could be called to. My hope for today's message was to encourage us, was to give us time to celebrate what God's done together, help us to reflect on all the ways that we can be thankful. Hopefully it's been a encouraging message for you. But I do wanna acknowledge something as we end, and I'm going to pose this as a question. If you are here today and you would consider Illuminate Community Church your church home, you would consider this your family, are you partnering with us in these things that we've talked about today? And this is by no means me trying to make you feel guilty. Feeling guilty accomplishes actually nothing. But I trust that as I've actually been talking through this today, through the spirit, he has convicted and stirred up things inside of you. And I trust that that's already happened. And so here's the deal. If you're like, hey, I need to get in the game. I need to partner with this church. I wanna be a part of what God's doing here. Just fill out a connect card. You don't need to put, I feel guilty across it. Don't do that. Just put your name on it put your phone number on it, take it out to the new here tent, scan that QR code, because here's what's gonna happen. A pastor this week will reach out to you, will call you, get to know you a little bit, and you'll be able to say, hey, pastor, I wanna get involved. How can I get involved? And we will individually help you based off the way that God's gifted you, the talents that God's given you, just the situation of life that you were in. We will find a way for you to specifically get involved and partner with us here at Illuminate for the sake of the gospel. And for those of you who have been faithfully partnering with us, those of you that lay down your life for the sake of the gospel, thank you. I am so grateful for a church family that does these things. As we move and get ready to share in the Lord's Supper and communion this morning, I think it is right because here's the deal. We are a church body, but the head of that body is Jesus. And my prayer for us is that God will continue his work in and through our lives and will bring it to completion in the day of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we continue to talk about all of these outworkings of the gospel, we come to the communion table where we have a perfect picture of what that gospel is. See, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he was with his disciples, and they were getting ready to take a meal that they had taken many times before. In fact, the Passover meal was something in the Hebrew tradition that dated back all the way to when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. And what happened was God was trying to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt, but the Egyptians were continuing to be sinful and rebel against God, specifically Pharaoh. And God's wrath was beginning to boil over on the Egyptians because of their sinfulness. And so God told the Egyptians, I'm going to send an angel of death who will kill the firstborn child in all of Egypt. But God in his great mercy told his people, that if they would obey him and they would kill a spotless and perfect lamb. So the reason it had to be perfect and spotless is the only sacrifice worthy for a perfect and holy God is a perfect and spotless sacrifice. And he said, take that blood and put it over the doorposts. And when the angel of death visits your home, it will pass over and you will be spared from death. Jesus isn't mixing words when he then takes the Passover with his disciples and says, this cup that's represented that lamb's blood It now represents a better lamb's blood, represents my blood. I am the better lamb, the more perfect, the more spotless lamb. I am the perfect and better sacrifice. 
See, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we are not saved from a physical death. We're saved from an eternal death, which is far more severe. And through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we are not brought out of physical slavery, but we are brought out of spiritual slavery and darkness, which seeks to destroy each and every single one of our lives. So as we come to take the Lord's Supper this morning, let's reflect on the gratitude that we have that by God's grace, he provided a way for us to be reconciled to him and be saved from eternal death. And so right now, take a few moments, reflect on those things, and I'll come back up in a moment and we'll take communion together.